Hello, and welcome to ECNM On Air, a podcast series from ECNM Magazine that shares industry intelligence, insights, and opinions on all topics electrical. I'm Ellen Parson, Editor-in-Chief of ECNM, and I'm here with some industry experts today to talk about applying construction robot technology in real-world applications. So we recently ran an article on the same topic in our January print issue, and it was honestly so popular with our readers that I thought it would be a valuable move to devote one of our podcast segments to this subject as well. ECNM on Air is one of the many benefits available to our members only portal, which offers exclusive member benefits and premium content that's hand selected by our editorial team. If you're interested in finding out more, you can register on our website, ecmweb.com, in the drop down menu under premium content. And if you're listening on a podcast app, please check our website for the links mentioned in this podcast. You can find it in the premium content area. So I'm going to let our guests introduce themselves briefly. We have a little bit bigger group today than normal on the podcast, so that should be interesting uh, before we jump into the discussion. Uh, But briefly, we have Jim Barrett with Turner Construction, Phil Nimmo with MCA Inc., Aiden McGuire with Hilti, and Tyler Parker with Black & Beach. So if you all could just give us a brief overview of your company, maybe your title and and a short capacity of how you're involved with construction robots for this discussion, that would be great. Um, So Jim, would you like to begin? So thank you for having me. Uh, My name is Jim Barrett, uh, Vice President, Chief Innovation Officer for Turner Construction Company. I've been with the company uh, nearly 30 years straight out of college. Um, I've been working in, in innovation for quite some time. Uh, probably for the past 10, 15 years, uh, trying to develop and advance sort of the culture of innovation within Turner and within the industry just generally. Uh, Turner now, at this point, has, uh, has grown to be, I think, the largest contractor in the U.S. I think we're doing $14, 15000000000 billion worth of uh, work a year. And as a result, we've got a lot of activities going that are associated with that. We're trying to very much, uh, my department's goal is to position Turner for the future, try to anticipate what's coming around the corner, um, leverage the new new innovations, new technologies. And that's why we've, we've been involved with robots for, I don't know, 10 plus years. We've been trying to understand the, the opportunities. Um, our goal is to get uh, really close to them so that in like 10 years from now, when there's the robot uprising, they know that we're, the, mm-hmm. we're, their, we're their friends and that uh, we're, we're gonna be uh, very safe as a result. So we're, we're trying to anticipate that future that's coming. But we do we certainly see a, a tremendous opportunity uh, given the, uh, the, the pressures on the industry, um, obviously, we're going to talk about this uh, quite a bit about labor, labor uh, challenges and such, productivity challenges. Um, we see there's, there's great opportunities to not replace people, but to reinforce people, to try to enhance and, and, uh, and uh, use ro- robots as partners to our workers. So okay. we're, we're pretty excited about that and excited about this topic. So thank you for having me. Yeah, definitely. Um, Phil? Yes, hello, this is Phil Nimmo and, uh, from MCA, and I'm glad to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to share some, uh, some thoughts on these uh, topics. Uh, I am the uh, Vice President of Business Development with MCA currently. I've been with MCA for about three decades and over that time have uh, held an awful lot of different titles and positions. Um, But essentially MCA, for those of you who don't know, was founded in 1990 by Dr. Perry Donishkari. Um, Basically our claim to fame is that we are a a research and education organization, which basically is a a long way of saying that what we do is is study things that uh, have occurred and have happened in other industries and look for ways to relate those, translate those and implement them into this industry. Uh, As we've been working in the electrical construction uh, uh, industry since probably, well, about 1996, I think we entered into into construction. 
Um, we've done a lot over the years, and, and obviously uh, the topic of robotics and, and uh, artificial intelligence uh, is a is a major a major move for this this industry, and it's one that we can study from other industries. So, uh, we've obviously been watching it very closely as it unfolds, and, and the the, uh, the state of progression and, and adaptation, if you will, uh, of the technology from from robots and artificial intelligence in construction. It's certainly uh, certainly is going to be a, a great discussion today, but more exciting to watch over the next five and 10 years to come. Looking forward to sharing what I can and I appreciate the opportunity. Yes, of course. Okay. Um, with the manufacturer perspective, we have Aiden here from Hilti. Thanks. Yeah, delighted to, uh, delighted to join you all here today. So for any of your listeners who don't know Hilti, um, we've been in business since 1941. We were founded in Shan Lichtenstein. We're a product software and service provider to the construction industry and are really best known um, as a world leader in our fastening and, and demolition technology, particularly for construction professionals. But we, we do a lot of other things as well. Um, cordless tools, digital design support services, total stations, and, and now, of course, robots, right, which brings me to, to what I do. So I'm Hilti's uh, North American business unit manager for our measuring and robotics product lines. My team is responsible or has been responsible for the launch and rollout of JBot which is the world's first semi-autonomous drilling robot, um, which we launched here in North America a couple of years ago. So delighted to share some of the experiences we've had uh, getting JBot out on projects, working with robots and contractors on projects, and really excited for the discussion today. Yes, me too. I think we have a really good group here. Um, with the engineering perspective, we have Tyler Parker from Black & Beach. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, Tyler Parker, I've been with Black & Beach for almost eight years now. I've had several different roles, but I'm currently the construction tools and technology manager. And for the last several years, I've been responsible for helping to define how Black & Beach is going to approach introducing robots to our construction sites. Um, that's taken a lot of different, um, it's taken a lot of different views. And we've, we've partnered with several different technology providers, manufacturers, startups, and very well-established companies. So I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Okay, great. So now that we know a little bit more about our guests, let's go ahead and get started with the discussion. Um, I'd like to just start with um, kind of a general question about how do you think the construction industry compares to other industries, let's say, when it comes to, you know, progress, um, spending, R&D, adoption of the actual machines? I, I think there's a couple ways to, that I'd like to maybe share um, uh, that we can look at it. And, and one way that's very common because it's easy to do is to look at spending and research and development. You know, in general, the construction industry doesn't spend a lot of money on research and development. If I look in the broad picture, and of course, I'm not talking specifically about robotics, but in contrast to other industries, uh, you know, typical uh, manufacturing may spend four times as much as a percent of revenue as the construction industry. On one hand, that sounds dismal. It sounds bad. On the other hand, the construction industry benefits from the fact that we are also um, as I mentioned from, from what we do is we study other industries. Well, you know, robots have been around for a lot longer than construction has been using them. So the spend and the investment in research and development for robotic technology doesn't necessarily need to be as high in order for us to get it implemented. So when I, when I look at the question of where do we stand relative to spending in R&D, we're not spending as much. But the expectation is that hopefully within the construction industry, we're learning from what's already been done in other industries in order to leverage that, uh, that knowledge and education to move forward quickly. Okay, right. That definitely makes sense. Yeah, I want to differentiate between sort of centralized R&D and decentralized R&D spending. 
Um, I think at a, I think Phil's absolutely right. If you look at say a, a, a firm like Turner or other, for, you know, you sort of you ask them how much are they spending. I think as a percentage of revenue, it's it's uh, again, it's it's fairly small relative to other industries. However, I will say there's a great deal of decentralized spending, which is at the project level. Um, we have a we have projects that are they're spending money on developing their own softwares, uh, testing you know robots, buying robots. Um, that never really gets captured adequately. So I think there's. It, I'm still. Not, I'm not saying that we're we're uh, we're investing enough in R and D uh, commensurate with with where the industry should be, but but there are uh, but there's a lot happening at a very uh, grassroots level, um, and and it's really interesting. And in some some respects, it's a, I think it's a healthy thing to allow that sort of uh, that testing to be happening, you know, project to project. We we have roughly a thousand active projects in any given year. Every one of them, I look at like a learning lab. You know, it's, it's a place where we can test things, we can try things out. What our challenge is, is, okay, fine, that's, you have some of that decentralized project level spending. How do you aggregate the knowledge and the learning from that so that everybody benefits from it? I think that's still a, a, a challenge. So, um, again, I, I absolutely agree with Phil um, in terms of, you know, we're, we're, we're just not where we need to be, but we're also trying to leverage that marketplace of ideas that we have. But aggregate that learning so that everybody can benefit from it, and that's that's a challenge. I mean, we're very we're a very fragmented, decentralized industry just by nature. Um, we we deal with that with like startups coming in the industry. It's really really hard to sell into our industry because you you're dealing with with so many silos, and and so there's again there's that challenge, but there's also that opportunity. So we're sort of looking at that and saying, okay, how can we how can we connect and create a network of of learning. And that's why I don't, that's sort of that's why we have my innovation department. We were we're we're built to try to connect all those different people that are trying to do really really interesting things at the grassroots level, while also leveraging what they're learning so that everybody can benefit and move faster. Definitely great points there. So, do you think the landscape necessarily has changed recently? You've all been working in this quite some time. Obviously, we've all you mentioned. You know, robots are not new. Um, is there anything new really as far as uh, these go? applying to electrical applications specifically, because those are our readers and listeners are the electrical folks. So um, if anyone has any thoughts on that, like I know Black and Beach, we're going to talk about here in a little while, you know, has done some actual uh, projects that are using robots. Um, but are we talking more of prototypes and, and hypotheticals or we're actually, you know, putting these robots into real world applications? So maybe not, not to... Uh... Sorry, Jim, do you want to jump in? I was going to actually tee you up, because, <laughs> because actually I'm just going to do a segue because we're looking at the J-Bot. Um, we, we think uh, very highly of that. Again, looking at you know, the opportunity to relieve a human being from repetitive um, uh, tasks that are uh, you know, uh, uh, not ergonomically uh, favorable to, to the, the stress and strain. But I, would, I want to go a little bit beyond robotics because we're also working with Hilti on exoskeletons. Um, we're you know using it's it's not a, you know it may not be traditionally called a, a, a robot per se, but it's again it's um, it's helping a human being and getting a job done that 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 causes stress and strain. So we're we're looking at that opportunity to look at all those aspects of the worker and the worker health and well-being. Uh, stress and strain uh, issues are are uh, are I think our second, if not the now the largest sort of area of claims. Um, uh, from workers is, is stress and stress and strain because we have an aging workforce. So uh, again, we're working with Hilti on a couple different fronts because we're really interested in that, that ability to again reinforce, augment, enhance the worker. So I'm, I'm, I was seeing that up for you, Aiden. You're welcome. Uh, you, you managed me. You, you helped me avoid a shameless plug of, uh, <laughs> of some of our solutions. So I, I appreciate it. 
but yeah, I mean, so Hilti, Hilti is actively targeting a lot of electrical applications, particularly when it comes to working overhead with exactly like Jim said, with kind of a, a suite of human augmentation technology. So you have everything from you know, like a fully autonomous overhead drilling robot that's fed from the digital coordination for a project like JBot that actually goes out, performs the you know locating, drilling, and then marking of the holes uh, for drilling overhead to a, a simpler technology, but one that alleviates a lot of the musculoskeletal disorders, a lot of the, the strain on the on the human worker, like EXO, which just supports the worker as they um, as they do these tasks overhead. And I think the electrical trade is in a really nice space to to adopt robotics. One. They have a lot of this overhead work, right? There's a lot of that work that has to be done. And two, with the increase in utilization, particularly of you know digital planning, digital coordination, uh, the increased utilization of total stations on projects by electric contractors. Some of, there's a lot of kind of digital information, digital data available that robots can piggyback off, right? And they can use that to, to help make these tasks even more efficient on site, which I think is, is fantastic. And then when you have, as an electrical contractor or a subcontractor in general, to make robotics successful in a project, you can't do that without the support of the construction manager or general contractor, because you can't you can't just you know put a robot out in a project and expect it to be productive from day one. There really needs to you need to also address some of the environmental factors around the job site schedule, how the job site is set up, where materials are loaded, in order to maximize the productivity you know of the robot when it's put out there. And there really is that marriage of subcontractor and general contractor together that's required to make a robot successful when it goes out onto a project. So it's been fantastic working with Turner on some of uh, with some of these technologies and some of these initiatives. So I'll circle back to your question regarding the practical application of robots on job sites and you know what's theoretical versus actually being used. And we are actively right now at Black and Beach using robots to dig trenches on our solar sites. Uh, we're using them to, the, the trenches are for DC underground cable installations. And, um, uh, We've had a few. We've got a few focuses on why we're doing that, but one of them is because we see this coming in the industry, and we want to make sure that we're training our professionals, um, giving them the skills that they need to be successful, not just right now in construction, but in the future. And we actually certified our first robotic equipment operator this week on one of our job sites, um, first ever, and, and we're really excited about that. So we're already empowering people to use real robots on job sites, active in the critical path. Uh, which is great. So there's that side of the story, but we're also working with startups and well-established companies to develop prototypes. Um, we recently published some work that we did with Honda. You mentioned that earlier. Um, we're, we want to be on, on the forefront, not just of what's possible today, like work doing with built robotics, um, but also folks like Honda that are developing the next generation of applications so that we, again, can keep training our craft on how to use these things um, how it's going to make their lives better, um, make them safer, and make everybody more effective. Wonderful. Could you talk just a little bit more about that specific project in New Mexico? It was a solar project, correct? And um, are you seeing this mainly in renewable space, or you know, are you looking at other applications as well? Sure. So, uh, and you're speaking specifically on the work with Honda? Yeah, the one in New Mexico. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, so our work with Honda was very successful. Um, and I want to reiterate, we do not test equipment for safety on our job sites. The equipment that shows up on the job site is proven to be safe and effective and meet our safety standards before we ever introduce it to a job or to another or to a human being. Um, so we spent years before we even got to our pilot program in New Mexico on that solar site, um, making sure that it was what it needed to be. Um, well, during our time on site, we were really searching for an appropriate use case 
on solar sites, but also so that we could take our learnings and determine what else could we use this for across all the industries that Black and Beach works within. Uh, we're in power, but we're also in telecommunications. We're in water. Uh, we work in a lot of different industries. And the, the great thing about that tool is that as we're developing it, we're finding that its versatility is, is one of its key drivers and its big values. Um, you, can, you can put attachments on it and make it uh, spray weeds or uh, pull cable or haul equipment. There are so many applications that we can, we can leverage it for that it doesn't have to be a complicated piece of equipment. And it's not intimidating. People are learning how to use robots and it's not replacing something that someone's doing. It's an added value. Um, and the more familiar we, we, we get people with this equipment, the, the more the fear goes down, the more the acceptance rate goes up. Um, and, and really the fear is what's going to get somebody hurt in the long run. And that goes beyond robots. So we want to make sure that it's safe. Um, that work with Honda really helped us push and educate. Um, and it's really been a great partnership. Can't say enough good things. Okay, great. Um, I was going to ask Phil a question about his Phil, do you have, did you want to discuss anything about your research? It's not necessarily on robots that, but that might tie into the, um, you know, job site uh, productivity angle. Yeah, there's a couple things that we could say on that. And, and I think, you know, one of the things that we've watched very carefully uh, as it's been evolving in the construction industry here is this, what we call the industrialization. And it happens through disruption in a lot of different ways and a lot of different factors. I know what's on a lot of people's minds, both on this, this, uh, this panel here, as well as in the reader audience in general, uh, is a lot of focus on the machines. But a part of where that disruption and that industrialization that's happening, it starts to appear is in existing machines with different, different approaches. Stuff like, for example, uh, in BIM models for years, we've had clash detection. We can analyze to see where things run into each other. But the AI augmentation on that is to start to say, can we learn about where the installation conflicts may occur based on the way the model's drawn? So we're starting to see some of that. Some of those are, again, it's not the exciting enthusiasm of watching the robots move around on the job sites, but it is that advent of the artificial intelligence that can ultimately be used and leveraged uh, in, in other machines besides just the desktop that's being used to draw pictures uh, uh, for, the, for the design side. I think we do see some of that. There's, there's a lot of artificial intelligence that's developing. Uh, I, won't, I don't wanna say completely independent of, but in parallel to the actual hardware development of the robotics. Actually, if I could, if I could chime in on that too. So we, we have, again, complete agreement with, with Phil uh, by the way, Phil, I, I know uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Perry from uh, 10 years ago, and Heather as well, by the way. I'm a, a huge fan of MCA's work, uh, standardizing productivity, which is something that is desperately needed in the industry, um, and uh, short interval scheduling, and uh, love all that. So uh, I love the tie into productivity, because we look at, the again, as we all know, I think, uh, for, at least for, for our industry, productivity is fairly flatlined. We haven't improved tremendously over the years. Um, so we're looking at a whole host of, of um, initiatives, at least the Turner, to move towards that industrialized future. We're moving construction, construction as production. You know, it moves, move it from uh, from the the craft. You want the, you still want the art of the craft, but you want the science of of, of production. So we have uh, uh, initiatives around uh, moving to offsite construction. We think that's the future of construction. Moving more offsite, prefab, modular. When you move into the warehouse factory setting, then you start talking about stationary robotics potentially uh, being in place to, to have a factory set setting. 
pop-up, we have this sort of idea we're kicking around around pop-up factories on job sites with like a stationary robots. Um, we're in, uh, BIM has you know allowed us to to think about uh, the digital fabrication workflows. Okay, the design you know adopting from manufacturing design for design for manufacturing and assembly DFMA. We've got a major initiative around that as well. Um, then you combine it with again this initiative around robotics. We've got all these parts and pieces. What we think is we're, they're going to really start to click over the next five years. All these things, these different this ecosystem that needs to be put in place to enable this industrialized future. Um, we've got all the parts. They're just starting to really fall into place, and then they're going to click. And we think in the next, say, five, ten years, uh, we, we're going to see radical disruptive change. On the productivity gains are, are pretty obvious. Do you all have a sense of this? Is a difficult question, so it may not be. Um, we may not be able to answer it. But how do you actually measure the cost savings? Is has anyone? Do you have any research on, on that or any way? Are we still talking hypothetically as far as? cost savings when it comes to using these construction robots? So maybe I can, I'll, I'll kick that one off, right? Okay. So we spent a lot of time researching, you know, honestly researching how do we, you know, what's the correct price point for JBot when we, you know, when we bring it into construction, what, what is the value of, you know, of an overhead drilling robot? And it was a really textured discussion, right? When you look at how to quantify return on investment and, you know, energy and cost saving, time saving for a robot, it really has to look at it almost like a like an iceberg, right? There's very two very kind of very distinct parts to it. There's the back of the envelope, you know, direct labor savings calculation, where you say, you know, this robot with a single operator can drill X amount, you know, more holes per day than a two worker crew can, right? So you can kind of very quickly have a back of the envelope. Here's the labor savings that directly contribute to the return on investment for the robot. When you actually dig deeper the bulk of the savings actually come kind of below the waterline from an iceberg perspective, right? It's the productivity benefits you get from being able to do the work faster. So what impact does that have on the critical path of the project? How many days can I cut off per pour? How quickly can I, how much more quickly can I build a building? What is the quality of the work that's been done? How much have I been able to, you know, reduce or limit rework and conflicts between trades on site by having the robot go and do the task per the coordinated drawing? Um, and then finally, of course, the, you know, the, the offsetting of labor, for people who aren't drilling holes, what are they now doing, right? They're doing more productive tasks in the project. And it's not that there's an exhaustive supply of skilled labor out there, right? So almost that better deployment of human capital all leads to a much a much bigger picture when it comes to how to quantify ROI. But really contractors are looking to justify the investment of the trial in robots based on that you know, very first line, how much labor hours can I save? But as they start to go more in depth and use the solutions, all of these other savings are starting to starting to come through and start to be realized, but they're much harder to, to quantify. Okay. Again, we go we're going beyond that that cost. Although it's obviously that's a good story, but actually the safety, the ergonomics, you know, the the the, the health and well being of a of a worker is actually arguably paramount to us. So yes, we, we you know, uh, we'll find a cost savings, but actually the first consideration is does this make the work easier, better? Uh, does it free up the worker from from that from those, those difficult uh, uh, sort of tasks of uh, that are dangerous or or, or 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 drudgery for them, and 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 I think that's something again. It is intangible, but I, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to dismiss that. I think that's at least for us. That's almost uh, arguably paramount. The health and well-being of the worker first and foremost. Definitely, that's all. I'd, I'd like to just add in there, and I think not not different from what uh, what what anyone else has been saying here. But one of the things that we want to remember, if we go back to the original question you had on the measurement piece. Not is it and where does it show up, but how do we actually measure it? 
one of the things as an industry that we're still struggling with is really identifying what is the work. The skilled labor knows what the tasks are and what needs to be done. They know what right looks like. They know how to do it. That is their skill. That is their talent. For us to start to put a measurement system in place, we need to have to we we have to step up and define um, a standardization, if you will, of what that work is that the robot is displacing. Is it is it actually the installation piece? No, it's bigger than that. It's all of the handling, all of the tasks, all of the cleanup, all of those other pieces that need to be defined and understood. It's in the minds, not necessarily even conscious of our expert installers out there. That is their skill. And we need to extract that and define it in standardized work before we'll really have a truly effective measurement of the impact of the robots. Then I think we can pick up some of these pieces that we know are there. We just, and we know where they are. We just don't know how to measure them because we don't understand the standard work element well enough yet. Hey, Ellen, can I, can, I, can I double back on something Tyler mentioned? I want to just, I apologize. I'm going to ask him a question. Sure. So he's actually, he's actually ahead of us in, in many respects in terms of uh, the use of robots and this really interesting, this certification of, of, a, of, a, of an operator. Because we've, we've wondered um, also not just the impact to the work itself, but to the workers. Does this change the skill set that is required? Are we, as we deploy more robots, are we going to need people that are software, you know, are the software programmers? Are they, um, are they robotics experts? Are we bringing in, are we needing to bring in a new, new type of worker to manage also, of, you know, in time, a fleet of, of robots? And Tyler, you guys seem to be ahead of, I know you're ahead of us in that regard, that you've even got a certification program. Is that where that's going? That's a great question. And I would say there is upskilling. That, that'll be needed, but we're working hard. And this is one of the, the other reasons why we wanna be involved early. We're helping right now to define the user interface that, that, that will be utilized by all contractors with these robots on job sites. And we're helping to set the appropriate expectation to make sure it's a smooth transition. Um, you've got people designing these amazing tools and, and they are extremely good and talented at what they do in programming and coding and, and, and making this robot do what we want it to do safely. We've also got these incredibly talented operators who are, I mean, it's an art form. If you watch a really good operator use an excavator, it is amazing. And the, the trick is to marry the two without uh, setting unrealistic expectations on either side. Um, I'll use myself as an example. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a coder. Um, I'm not an operator. I get, to, I get to help work with people and bring all, the, all of this together. So to get to the core of your question, you, know, you don't need your operators to be software engineers. And it's, it's everybody that's on this call that's gonna to contribute to ensuring that as this technology evolves, we're able to utilize the talent that we have and make sure that there's knowledge share. Brenda, our first robotic um, equipment operator, she, she isn't a software person. And we've been working with Built Robotics to make sure that user interface speaks her language because she's going to be the one interacting with that equipment and she's doing a great job. So how realistic is it, Tyler, and everyone else can jump in here too. Um, I was interested in, you know, for our listeners, there could be small to large electrical contractors, electricians, um, design engineers, even plant facility maintenance type settings. So let's say they adopt this technology and they're trying to put it into practice. Um, you know, going back to what Jim said, what kind of people are they going to need to employ, you know, robotics experts or coders and things like that? Do you foresee that? Or you really see it more as 
you know, that's a function from the manufacturer that they're providing the support. So you all don't need those in-house experts on your team, or is it kind of a combination? I think, I think that the answer to that is really going to depend on the objectives of the contractor. Do you want to manufacture robots for the industry, or do you want to play a role in specifically designing um, the inner workings of how that tool operates? You might need some roboticists, some, some people who really know what they're doing in that industry. For, for Black & Veatch and the approach that we've taken, like I've said, we, we see this coming and we want to be upfront. We, we, we want to know how it's going to impact our professionals so that we can prepare everyone in the organization. That said, we're partnering with people who are really good at building robots because we're really good at build, building power plants. We're really good at telecommunications and water. And we, we take all these things that people make and we integrate them. And then they, they produce something that everybody needs, right? Clean water, cell phone uh, capabilities, uh, power. So the, the, short ver the short version of the answer is, no, you don't have to be a roboticist. Uh, you, you can find partners who are really good at that and then help them understand what your needs are. Okay. Aiden, do you have any, um, anything to add there as far as like how you've worked with our readers who are, who are you know, the contractors and, and those type of people um, as far as providing support and, you know, or if they have in-house people that they're needing to bring in? Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, it's um, the operator is honestly for us the most critical part of whether JBot or a robot or even some of our total stations are going to be successful on a project, right? As a manufacturer, it's very easy for us because of how we've designed our systems to teach the button pushes, right? To teach how this is how the equipment works. This is how you drive it from A to B. This is how you make it drill. Uh, what we can teach as a supplier to the construction industry is that trade knowledge, right? So I have this problem. I've encountered this difference between what's been designed and the, you know, the site conditions I have, what do I do? And we, you know, we've a long experience of doing this, for example, with our total stations, where we specifically target operators who understand how to do the work using traditional methods. And then we apply the technology as the next step to that. As a supplier or as a, as a manufacturer, it's very easy for us to teach people how to use the equipment as long as they have that base understanding of the application and how to do the work. And you need to say you need to bring those two together. So honestly, for us, the labor, the skilled labor, the trained labor that's out there, they are going to be our robotics operators because you need that trade knowledge in order for the new solution, the new system to be effective. The best way to look at these uh, robots in construction are, are as new tools, right? They just make the existing labor more productive, but that core trade knowledge is the most important thing for the success then of that technology on site, as well as a willingness to try and do something a new way. Okay, that's a great point. Well, and I will say uh, one of the things for us is we're also looking at this, when you introduce something new like this, new innovation, it also can be disruptive in, in creating new business models. So you look at robots, right? Uh, like a J-Bot's a good example, right? Um, that actually probably serves uh, a, a very uh, great purpose when it's used across multiple trades on a project and then even aggregated across projects. So a general contractor, we would look, you know, theoretically a J-Bot might, might seem like a tool for you know, the trades. But actually we look at it and say, maybe this is actually a new business model for Turner. Maybe if nobody's going to step in, maybe we buy these. Maybe we're, maybe it's not, you know, you have software as a service. Maybe it's robot as a service, a RAS model, right? We, we're renting them. We're leasing them. We're, we're using them across projects. We're, we're, we're renting them to the trades. And it's creating a whole new business, a new business model, a new business revenue for us. So my point also is for, for, your, for the electrical contractors, uh, your readers, that 
I, I think you got to be really actively looking at this because if you're not going to figure it out, somebody else is going to figure it out for you, right? And and as a general contractor, not for nothing, we're 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 open to lots of opportunities. We look at you know we we bought uh, Boston Dynamics robots, the bot robots. We're looking at the JBot. Um, we're looking at the Exoskeleton. Like we think there's a there's a play in here, and it's not it's a it's it's you know obviously want to help the workers, but is there also now in this new this new era we're moving into are there just new business opportunities entirely, and that's that's actually pretty exciting for us. I I want to jump in just real quick and and maybe draw some attention to some parallels that that I think uh, we've all been living through. You know, on the on the BIM side, there's two approaches. You can hire somebody who's an expert at CAD, or you can hire somebody that understands the installation to make the drawing. And I think what we've seen over over recent years is that there's a lot of tendency towards making sure that we have people that understand the installation practices involved in the drawing side. And I think that plays back very very closely to what Aiden was saying that, you know, the you have to take that level of experience and and talent in, particularly if you have an operator on a, a drone type machine, a non-autonomous machine. An autonomous machine is still gonna require some level of programming, but it's gonna to have to be programmed by somebody that understands the tasks and the steps as they need to be performed. I, I think also though, if we look at the advent and where we're going down the road, the learning uh, algorithms in these machines as we get more AI into the autonomous machine probably makes it less dependent on having that skill set involved. So I guess the long and short of what I'm trying to say is I think where we're at today is one, one picture of who we need to employ, where we're gonna be at in three, four, five years is a different picture, and where we're at in eight, 10, 12 years is probably yet a different picture again. Okay, so as far as, you know, we talked a little bit about this, about our readers and listeners who may be out there and thinking, well, I don't, I'm afraid this is going to replace my job. You know, obviously most of these tasks right now are uns are unskilled, but um, you've all had some good thoughts on well, the skilled workers are the ones who are going to be leading this evolution. So, do you have any <clears throat> advice for them, or maybe words of comfort to you know, so that they aren't afraid of this technology? Let's say instead of um, seeing it in a different light. I think the best words of comfort, right, are you know you now no longer have to worry about going up and down ladders all day or drilling overhead all day or working in uncomfortable positions, right? That that is the comfort, right? I love watching the the kind of the war in the YouTube comments um, underneath, you know, robotics videos and different things. And there's a really active debate on, you know, wow, okay, this is a threat. Completely recognize that. And then there's a lot of people speaking up from the trades who are saying, I'm, I, I don't want to do that work anymore. I don't want to drill 50, 100 holes, you know, overhead all day. That has an impact on my quality of life. I can't go home and, you know, play catch with my kids. I think that's the that's the biggest reassurance you can give, right? Is that let's let's eliminate these dull, dirty, dangerous tasks that you have to do on site, and uh, make your make your experience or make your work life better on site. Okay. Well, there's um, there's also a, an, an observation, and and again, I don't I don't want to want to overstep my bounds on this question, because um, I'm I'm maybe a step further away than most of the other uh, contributors here on this on this uh, forum, but the. Uh, the other thing we're looking at is that there are a lot of workers in the workforce that have all this experience that are already leaving. They're retiring, they're going away, they're being replaced by, by new employees with a different skill set. Um, I think that transition is already happening and it's more up to us to lead it than to uh, explain it and expect it, you know, to, to have to answer to it. 
Okay, just one, one thought about that. Well, we have a mantra. Uh, we talk about, uh, it's a, from Peter Drucker, uh, used to say, the best way to predict the future is to create it. I think that's that's the way to, I think that's the healthy way, I think, to think about that future, right? Is, is not to fear it, but to acknowledge it and then find the opportunities there that, that can then position you to, to really leverage what's coming. I wanted to ask Tyler as well, like, how did your employees react to, you know, these new projects you're doing and, you know, incorporating that technology into these jobs? Um, was there fear or any kind of pushback or, you know, how did everyone react? And Jim may have some thoughts on that as well, like how, how the employees are doing as far as that goes. Sure. I mean, this is a question that, I mean, it, in any any podcast that I've been able to participate in and on the job sites, we do get this question. Um, we benefit at Black and Beach and that we have constantly for a long, long time made it very clear that within our culture, people come first. Um, we've heard it several times on this call so far. Safety is number one. We take care of our people because they take care of everything. Um, so, so when the question comes up, um, the first thing we do is, you know, we acknowledge, yeah, in other industries, we've absolutely seen robots come in and people lose their jobs. You have to acknowledge that that has happened. But something Phil said early on in the podcast, I think is, rings pretty true. Um, we've, in the construction industry, have had an opportunity to see that. And, and the folks that are here are helping to make decisions now that are going to shape the future, to, to Jim's point of, of how, how this is going to impact the people that build the things that are required for us to live, the comfortable lives that we do. So I think really reinforcing first that we're in the people business. If you're in construction, you rely on people to get the job done. That's not going to change. It just isn't. And it's up to us to make sure people have the skills that are necessary to evolve with the tools. I use the example. We used to build a house with a hammer and a nail. If you've ever lived in a neighborhood where new houses are being built, you don't really hear the hammer and nail anymore, but you hear an awful lot of nail guns. That nail gun was an innovation. It was a mechanical assistance of a task that was very manual. Try to take a nail gun off a job site now, right? It's, a, it's an integral part of how we get the work done. It doesn't have to be scary, but it is new. So really talk, we really talk a lot about training. We talk a lot about our dedication to the people that we rely on. And so far, that's gone really well. Um, let people interact with it, and the fear does go away. Okay, great. It's funny. So we have uh, a couple of spot robots, you know, the, the, the four-legged ones. Um, people love them, love them. You walk around with that robot, and everybody, they, they, it's, it's funny how you uh, anthropomorphize the robot. People immediately think about it as a dog. The first question is, what's its name? Literally, that's the first question. What, what, is, what did you name it? And then, and then also, if it if it falls down, people are like, "Oh my gosh, is it okay?" It's like, Wait. It's, I'm sorry, it's just a robot. It's just a piece of equipment. But it's so it's amazing how people, you know, again in this initial sort of exploratory phase, people are just fascinated with the technology. They're just sort of curious. Um, we try to feed that curiosity. We try to, uh, I think, to Tyler's point, we try to also sort of humanize it a bit. Like that, it's it shouldn't be something to fear. It's, it's again, it's something to um enhance a worker and they're what they're working frees them up from things but uh but i'm i'm, I'm always fascinated at how people just um they, how they how they just uh sort of become they personalize it very quickly and and um ideally uh, we want to sort of make that we want to make that a, a friendly experience as much as possible as we move forward there's no doubt about that but it is 
people are funny, they, especially when it's in a, it's again, spot robots in a form that looks, you know, something, whether it's a, like a dog or a humanoid, it's just, it's amazing how people sort of, um, they, they, they put their own perceptions on top of it to see what they want to see. That's really interesting. I think uh, we're going to, getting close to wrapping things up, I wanted to see if anyone else had any, um, you know, big picture thoughts on what they think is coming or just any thoughts in general they'd like to you know, get out to our readers and listeners. I liked what Jim said as far as like the best way to see the future is to create it. So I think that's a really important point that was made today. And you all have been phenomenal on offering this really, really unique insight. And I really appreciate it because I think this has been an absolutely wonderful discussion. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll kick off the, the wrap up. I think for, for me, uh, all I'd urge your readers to, to, or your listeners to do is to, you know, move robots from this persona of problem solver. I only use it when I have no other option, right? This is something I only go to when, you know, when I'm in trouble to robots are the standard way I can start to look at tasks. I can start to industrialize what I'm doing and start to consider, you know, how you can plan to use robots much, much, much earlier in your uh, planning and design phases and also much, much more regularly, right? Robots aren't just there for when you have toxic environments and it's a, you know, a horrible task where humans can't go. Robots can add productivity and really help with health and safety in these everyday tasks on construction sites. And for me, that moving robots from that problem solver space to that everyday adopted space is critical uh, for the industry, for, for robots to really start to gain traction in the industry. Okay, for sure. Again, I used the term earlier, and I know I know most have, have heard it by now uh, quite a bit lately, is the industrialization of the industry. That transformation that's going on, you know, that's the robots are a key part of the future. They're present today. They're going to help us through that transition, that industrialization. But, you know, really a lot of the benefits, you know, we're only speculating. We're not going to see all of the real benefits until we get through that transformation and that that industrialization of the industry it's exciting to watch it is happening it is real and it's moving ahead right now so um you know uh, everybody's attention on it and and uh, and the progression in that direction is it's all the right moves but the transformation has to occur and right. uh, and it's that's when we're going to really see the advantage of the robots right so we what? may not like jim said get to when they take over we, we don't know when that's going to be <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. and I'll, I'll reinforce, Phil, also, I'm not sure we know what they're going to look like, exactly, mm -hmm. right? Um, the four factors we're seeing now are, are the ones that I think um, you, you know, there's, there's an argument in research has said that, you know, an, uh, an innovation takes about 20 years from when it's first introduced before it makes a really wide impact, maybe 20, 25 years. I think for uh, robots in construction, it's still pretty new. I don't know that we've nearly, I think we're really at the beginning of this phase. Honestly, I think uh, for, for us, at least maybe for vertical construction, um, you know, if we're probably another 10 years away from some practical, real practical impact, broad impact. Um, so I think there's a, uh, we're, but what we're proving out is that the technology uh, works. Um, you look at the, 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 the like I look at like a, like a J-Bot or a Boston Dynamics, the, the advanced and sophisticated nature of these are really amazing. And so now we've proven that out. We know the software, the uh, artificial intelligence is coming along. There's a lot of things that are coming into place that I think we're just starting, we're at the beginning of this exploration of what, what is really possible. I think it's just the beginning. Fact, and we should all look at that, not, again, not uh, from, from a point of fear, but a, but, a, but a point of exploration and discovery. This is actually quite exciting. It's a really exciting time. We can shape that future. So we just have to be actively engaged in it. So I, I think in, in, in closing on my end, um, I would just reiterate 
um, we've got a lot of smart people here on the call and, and I think we can all agree none of this innovation happens uh, without the folks that are out there on the job site. That's the construction professionals that are gonna that are gonna make this thing work the right way um, and make it benefit everybody safely. So um, really want to encourage um, as as everybody you know goes off into their own corners, uh, give that a lot of thought, right? Um, I, I like to challenge the industry. How do we make sure this is helpful to the people that are are doing the work right now? And uh, that that's what we're trying to do. We we want to get smart so that we can take everything we learn, pass it to the folks um, that are that are on the job sites, uh, help to make them more effective, safer, and um, really excited to see what the future holds. I think that's a perfect point to close with. So thank you all so much. I want to thank all of you for sharing your insight, industry knowledge, and experience with us today regarding the advancement of construction robot technology and applications in the field. In closing, I'd also like to thank Senior Associate Editor Ellie Coggins and Associate Editor Michael Morris for editing and putting these podcasts together, making this valuable information available to all of our readers and listeners. For more information, visit our website at ecmweb.com. This podcast is produced by ECNM Magazine, part of the portfolio of Endeavor Business Media Publications. Well, I think that's it for now. I'm Ellen Parsons signing off of ECNM On Air. Please let me know if you have any podcast topics you'd like to listen to in the future. And don't forget to check out our members only portal on the website for more podcasts and other content resources for electrical construction professionals. Thank you and have a great day.